Children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain here in person or on the live stream, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. We'll be spending a couple of weeks uh, looking at these verses. If you read through the book of Titus, you'll see... Uh, there, there are a lot of theological themes that run throughout. If you, if you just write down every time the word grace appears, or the word appears appears, or uh, how God, Jesus Christ, and Savior are used throughout. We heard a sermon on that last week. Uh, and then this theme of good works runs throughout as well. Uh, and lest we misunderstand what it means for us to be ready for every good work. Paul reminds Titus here of what those works are to be, how it is we are to do them, and what it means for us to be ready. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is God's Word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to the glory and majesty of your goodness and loving kindness, to the blessing of your Holy Spirit, to your grace manifest to us in Christ Jesus, that we might be a people who are eager to follow after you in devoting ourselves to good works, not in order to earn eternal life, because in Christ we have that sure and certain hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a culture that is captivated by spectacle. Right? No, nobody really enjoys the football game. That's the 3-6 tie there at the end with the last second field goal for the win. Like Nobody talks about that at work except to be like, that was such a boring game. I turned it off. We go to movies where it's like 
explosions and craziness and, and like the movies that perform well are the movies that have all the spectacle in them often. And then the movies that don't perform well are the, you know, the more artistically inclined movies on the low budget. There are exceptions, of course. We, uh, we look for marriage and parenting advice from the people that have the, the multi-million dollar New York Times bestsellers and the videos and the podcasts. There's a, there's a different sort of spectacle. And that's really not a spectacle at all. It's something that has real power. Because sometimes you can have spectacle and no power. Right? You can read the best-selling marriage book. But then you see the old couple in the park on the bench, still holding hands, still talking to one another, still devoted to one another, and there is real power there, but no spectacle. I think about the scene in The Lord of the Rings, and it's been a long time since I've used a Lord of the Rings illustration, so I'm due one, where you know the Nazgul are chasing after the the people trying to flee to the, the city of Gondor for safety. And Gandalf comes rushing out of the city on his horse. And you're like, oh, there are going to be lasers. There's going to be explosions, fire everywhere. And he, he just raises his staff and there's light. And it chases off the darkness. And it's very subtle. But there's power. And when we read in this passage, yet again, that, that God has appeared that the goodness and loving kindness of God has appeared. We might be forgiven for looking around trying to find the spectacle of it. Where are the explosions? Where are the, the blog posts and the Twitter feeds about this? Where's, where is the spectacle of this appearing? But God, when he appears, doesn't need spectacle. He appears, he appears with power and with glory. And so, if we're to, to consider what it means for us to be ready for every good work, we need to come back to these verses, verses 4 and 5, that form the foundation of those good works, that show us what they're to be like and to be about what the, the power is that should sustain them. And it's that goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, that has appeared. So what is it like? How has it appeared? We're going to ask three questions this morning. Where does this goodness and loving kindness of God appear? How does this goodness and loving kindness of God appear? And why does this goodness and loving kindness of God appear? And hopefully that will show us what that means for us when we too then are to be devoted to every good work. So the first thing I want us to consider is this question, where is it that this goodness and loving kindness of God appears? Because we have a tendency to look in the comfortable places, we, 
we want to find goodness. We want to find kindness in this world. And so we look around and we see it from time to time and we see it truly. But, but we have a tendency to look in the easy and comfortable places. Oh, we, we get up early and we look at the sunrise or we stay up a little late and watch the sunset. Or we, we, we find this poem or a card or we see these wonderful things and we say, oh, that's good and that's beautiful. But we never have to get out of those comfortable places. And that reveals something about who we are and where we expect to see goodness. Back when I did college ministry, we had a lot of pizza parties at various and sundry places, including my house. And, and we had a whole bunch of pizza boxes left over. And I sent one of my student leaders to go throw them in the trash dumpster outside. Not the brown dumpster, that's for yard debris only, but the, the green dumpster for trash. He goes out, comes back in, we clean up, everybody goes home, and next day's trash day, and as I'm getting ready to take the trash out, I open up, and the pizza boxes aren't there. I'm like, where are they? I know I sent him out there. Did he? And he put them in the yard. The, the one bin I told him not to put them in, he put them in the yard bin. Of course, I found out later he's cut green, brown, colorblind, and... I guess he did his best, but that, that's sort of how we are, I think. Is that sometimes we can't really tell the difference between ordinary goodness and this majestic, awesome, divine goodness that comes from God alone. Because we don't, we don't really go out and look really hard for it. I mean, it wouldn't have taken much for him to just dig a little deeper, open the lid and look in, and you'll see this one's half full of grass. That's not where the pizza boxes go. This one has trash in it. Maybe you should put them there instead. But we don't want to go into those hard places. We don't want to lift the lid. We don't want to dig deeper because we find all sorts of horrendous things there, don't we? What is the world really like? I mean, there's wonderful things in this world. Don't get me wrong. There's cheesecake. I've mentioned that before, I think. There, we can fly in airplanes across oceans. We can go to the moon, some of us maybe, one day. All sorts of wondrous and amazing things out there in the world. But there's also a lot of horror and foolishness and hatred and malice, and jealousy, and envy. And it looks a lot like what Paul is talking about here. What we were once like. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. We look out at our world, and it seems to be... but disintegrating into more and more radical individualism. Nobody's really connected anymore. We hunker down in our homes. We can do our work via Zoom. We don't have to sit on the front porch. We don't need to greet our neighbors. And we can just lash out at them on next door or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And, and it seems like we are just growing further and further apart. There's dysfunction and despair and depression and anxiety. There is an epidemic of loneliness and substance abuse. 
And it seems that Paul's description of what the world is like isn't far off the mark even now in 2023. And yet that, we're reminded, is the very place where God's goodness and loving kindness appears. In those darkest places, in those most despairing corners, in that most disobedient, malicious, envious, and hate-filled place where many of us once lived, that is where the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared and saved us. That is where his goodness and loving kindness continues to appear, continues to reveal itself. Do we know where to look for it? Are we still content just to do the easy poly pocket? Oh, that's nice. That's good. Or are we willing to lift the, the, the lid of the garbage can and investigate and see? What can God do here? What is his goodness and loving kindness able to accomplish? We avoid those places. We, we lash out in anger it's instead. We see the grief and the misery and the disobedience in the world, and we just get angry and we lash out at it and we condemn it, but we never, we never step into that place. To see what God's goodness and loving kindness might accomplish. Or, or we run, we escape into the bottle, or we escape into pleasure, or we escape into binge-watching some new show on Netflix. We escape so that we don't have to look, we don't have to gaze, we don't have to experience the sorrow and the grief and the misery. We don't have to deal with it. We can just put it off, put it out of our minds, and enjoy a, a vestige of something good. Or we, we shift the blame. We see the foolishness maybe in our own hearts. We see the malice and the anger deep in our own souls, the bitterness that has taken root there. And, and we don't want to see, we don't want to dive in, we don't want to see what God's goodness and loving kindness can do even in that place. And so we just shift the blame like our first father did and start to point the finger at everybody else that has caused our misery rather than dealing with with it on our own. Or we are overwhelmed with shame and hopelessness and despair, and we are just crippled and paralyzed by it altogether. And in this, we don't seem to recognize the power the transforming power of the goodness and the loving kindness of our God that can break into all of these places and bring real salvation, real renewal, real hope, and real change. If you want to be ready for every good work, you have to be ready to go to those places where God's goodness is appearing.
when you go there, how is it then that God's goodness and loving kindness appear? It's important to ask, right? We don't want to just jump off the cliff, not know, like, where, what's next? How is this supposed to happen? What should our expectations be? And, and the problem is we do have a tendency to look just on a, a, a surface level at, at our circumstances to, to see if God's goodness and kindness are, are working themselves out. If I step into the hard place, if God's goodness and loving kindness is to appear, that must mean that the cancer will be eradicated, that the, the struggle will be gone, that everything will be easy and happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. That's not really what Paul points us to here. He points us to something even deeper. One Christmas years ago when I was in high school, um, somebody got their hands on a Star Wars Monopoly set, and they thought, this, this was made for Jeff. And they gave me this Star Wars Monopoly set, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And if you actually play by the real Monopoly rules, it does not take five hours. But it was also Star Wars, so even if it did, it would be okay. And I was like, this is awesome. And then somebody else gave me a gift, and it was a Star Wars Monopoly set. And I can't confirm this, but my memory is that someone else yet handed me a gift, and I'm like, oh no. And lo and behold, it was another Star Wars Monopoly gift. And just my, my sadness and discontent and displeasure was just evident to everyone. And, you know, my parents were like, yar, yar, yar. it's the thought that counts and all that kind of stuff. But, but that's kind of true. I was so focused on the thing that I missed the thoughtfulness of all the different people behind it who didn't go to my parents and go, what should we get Jeff for Christmas? They, they saw something. They didn't coordinate. They just, without flow of their kindness, got something they thought that I would enjoy. And we do that with the Lord. When we just focus on the circumstances and we just focus on the things and we just focus on the surface level, we focus on the thing at the expense of the person. Behind it all. When you look at this passage, you see that God's goodness and loving kindness overflows in the totality of his being, not just in the trinkets that he gives, but in who he is. That when he steps into the hard places, when he invites his people into his presence, you can't help but be overwhelmed by his goodness and loving kindness. Look look at what happens here in verses 4 through 6. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Here, Paul is focusing on, on God the Father. This, this one who has planned a, a cosmic rescue and salvation for a wicked and sinful people who out, the outflow of his, his heart for them was not to condemn them, but to save them. He saved us, not because of anything that they had done, not because of works of righteousness that they had performed, but according to his own mercy, the outflow of his own person and character. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
our Savior. God made man who took on the form of a servant and did not wait for us to get our act together, but came to seek and save the lost and was obedient to God even to the point of death, taking the sins of his people on himself that he might purify them, that he might redeem them, that he might buy them back from all of those things. That they might be justified, not by works, but by his grace. That we might be heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the great high king. And he's poured out upon us richly, not the little drizzle, not the, the dieting tip where you keep the salad dressing on the side and you just dip the salad into it. He has poured out in abundance. He has tipped over the the barrel of the goodness of the Holy Spirit and just inundated us with him richly. That we might have real renewal as God himself works it out in us. That we might have real hope as God himself testifies to our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. That we might have real regeneration, washed and cleansed and made new in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. The whole person of God abounds to his people, runs to them, seeks them out and grabs hold of them and clings to them and holds them tight that we might know him who is the source of all goodness and loving kindness. What are we inviting people to experience when we invite them to church, to Christianity? What is it that we want them to know? Do we simply want them to know a way of living? Some rules to follow? Do we unintentionally teach a reformed version of the prosperity gospel that if you just learn your theology well, if you just put those things into practice well, God will be pleased with you and will pour out blessings upon you of every kind. What are we inviting people to know? What Paul wants the people in Crete to know, what he wants the church to know, what he wants Titus to know isn't some worldly technique for how to get the church bigger and better and badder or some earthly measure of what success is going to look like in his pastoral ministry or in their professional lives. He wants them to know deeply and personally God whose goodness and loving kindness leads us to repentance, a turning away from the things of the world and a turning toward God himself. 
that we might know true goodness. That we might know true kindness. That we might see in his person and in his works that his goodness and loving kindness knows no end. How does God's goodness and loving kindness appear? It appears in Christ. It appears in the Holy Spirit. It appears in God as he works in and through his people in these hard places. Why? To what end? Why does God's goodness and loving kindness appear? Sometimes we are just like God's people in first century Israel. We are looking for spectacle. We want the Messiah to show up and crush the Romans underfoot to destroy all of that godless culture and to erect in its place a pure and perfect culture designed just for us that we might enjoy this world forever and ever. And we want it to be done with power and with glory and with clarity, with angelic armies and all sorts of fireworks. And we look out in our culture now. And I've grown very weary of the culture warring because it seems that it begins to look less and less like what Christ has called us to be and looks more and more like what the world already is. God's goodness and loving kindness appears to shape his church, to shape his people, to be more like him and less like the world. And this isn't spectacular in the worldly sense. It is miraculous, but it doesn't come with fireworks or with prestige. It comes with a hope of eternal life, a hope that can sustain you through the darkest trials, that can teach you what it means to endure this broken and fallen world with the power of the Holy Spirit, not to gain earthly reward, but to be with your God. It comes with a devotion to good works, not not works that collect and accumulate for us power and wealth that the world might recognize us and finally decree that, yes, Christians are the best in the world, but good works that It looks like being submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient to God, ready for every good work, not just the ones that are convenient, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, that manifests itself with gentleness, not weakness, but gentleness, showing perfect courtesy towards all people turns the other cheek, that blesses those who curse you, that prays for those who abuse you, that abounds with goodness and kindness even to the dark places we live in in this world. That's not not spectacular, but it's powerful. Because it's 
the Holy Spirit equipped people of God that he has sent into those places that we might manifest his goodness, that his goodness and loving kindness might appear in and through us, that other people might see it and know his salvation. God's goodness and loving kindness has appeared that he might bring change to us and to this world. That we might be salt and light. And this doesn't happen by accident. This is why Paul says, I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. There's an intentionality there. There's a patient, plodding, enduring practice there. There's a... A steadfastness there that isn't looking for worldly accolades. But it's the outflow of one who is drawn near to God and knows his goodness. And is willing to take it wherever God leads. Where do you need to be renewed in your devotion to good works? Not good works that earn you the accolades. Not good works that vindicate you in the eyes of men. Not good works that accomplish great things for you. But those works that manifest the very goodness and loving kindness of God in the hard and dark places. With your spouse. With your children with your neighbors, your co-workers? Where do you need to be renewed in that devotion? The solution isn't to double down. This is what Paul's saying. Insist on this. We don't do the good works in order to get God's attention. Those who have believed in God, those who know His goodness and His loving kindness firsthand, those who have experienced it, who have, who have been overwhelmed with the fullness of the Spirit, go then and be devoted to good works. But maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know this. I have not experienced God in this way. There's an invitation there for you then to seek him. To not rest until you have known his goodness, not in that superficial, casual sense, but deeply. Maybe it means you have to to step in to those hard places in your own soul, those places of shame and guilt that have crippled you, that you are hiding from, that you are running from, and you need to know that God's grace is sufficient even for the that. Maybe it needs, means you need to go into those relationships that have disintegrated, and in prayer and in humility, seek forgiveness and grant it. Maybe it means you need to embrace that dark night of the soul. That you might seek God in it and know firsthand his goodness 
and his loving kindness that is able to equip you for every good work. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your loving kindness to appear afresh and anew. Help us, O Lord. Give us eyes to see all of the ways that we have cheapened your grace, that we have had a superficial understanding of your goodness, that we have thought to ourselves that our works are done in righteousness and are sufficient for God's kindness. Give us repentance, Lord. If you lead us into sorrow, Lord, don't lead us into sorrow to end there, but meet us there that we might know Christ in that sorrow and find relief. Don't lead us into difficulty, O Lord, and trial and tribulation to lead us there, leave us there, but Lord, if you take us into those hard places and those trials and tribulations, Lord, meet us there. Be our rod and our staff and our comfort that we might know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, our God is with us. Don't don't leave us in this foolish and disobedient world, Lord, without any hope of redemption, of everlasting life. But impress upon us your power that is at work right now to bring change and renewal that you might restore all things. May that hope give us strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.